Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we need your presence in this place. I need you to fill my mouth with your words. God, as we read uh, your word together, uh, Paul tells us quite a lot about what you desire from us, uh, but perhaps more importantly yet, what you have done for us. For that, God, we give you thanks. We offer you our praise and our worship, Lord. But in this moment, we offer you our ears. We offer you our mind. And we offer you our hearts. Lord, we ask that you use them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, if you'll turn with me, I, I want to read, uh, I know Matt uh, did a wonderful job reading from Galatians uh, chapter 3. We'll go ahead and, and open the scriptures uh, once more, uh, and, and we'll read the passage another time through. Uh, if you haven't learned by now, uh, Paul's letters are often, and this one is especially, quite dense, by which I mean there is... There's a lot in every word, uh, in every phrase. There's just, there's a ton going on. And so we could read this, frankly, 20 times. And each time, my guess is you'd get more and more and more and, uh, until you finally realize, oh, how did I not see that on time one? Uh, but today, we'll just, we're going to read it twice. Uh, Matt read it once, and, and I'll read it one more time for us. Uh, we are, uh, I've, I've I've made a quick game uh, decision to only try to preach through the end of chapter three, however. Uh, so trust me, you, if I go into four, seven, we'll be here all afternoon. So uh, let's read together. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring, that's Jesus, should come, to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. If you're confused by those verses, well, most commentators are, so you're not alone. Nevertheless, what Paul is putting before us is uh, a question that has been hanging in the air for a while, frankly, through this entire book, which is, well, if uh, righteousness is through uh, the faith of Christ Jesus, right, well, then why the law at all? Why was that ever introduced? Why, why do we have the bits and pieces of our Old Testament that, uh, are, that, that talk about these issues? Why is that there? And he begins to answer it. And he says in verse 21, Is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. If I can just, one more time, retranslate that for you. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by the faith of Jesus Christ, his atoning work on the cross, 
might be given to you who also have faith. You believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is a very quick reminder of uh, the five most important events that are sitting in our scripture. Uh, I'll just start calling them by their people's names. Adam, Abraham, Moses, David, and Jesus, right? These are five places where God shows up and and makes a covenant or a promise, and Paul pulls out two of those here, well, maybe three, I guess. Abraham and Moses, and the third might be Jesus, okay? And what Paul wants to say in, in chapter three is that the covenant that is made with Moses or through Moses with Israel, truly, Well, it doesn't negate the promise that was made prior to that with Abraham, right? So God first comes to Abraham. If you know your scripture well enough, then you know Abraham's the first of the first. He's he's the forefather of it all. And God comes to him, and, and God simply makes promises. God doesn't offer a, if you do this, then I will do this. God just makes promises, And then, as scripture goes on, God makes a covenant with Moses or through Moses. And that covenant definitely says, if you do this, then I will do this, right? And there's very much an if-then quality to all of that. And so Paul is simply pointing out that the promises that were made back to Abraham, they aren't null and void simply because later on, a covenant gets made with or through somebody else, namely Moses, right? And the driving point that Paul wants to make throughout this entire letter, right, is that righteousness can only be achieved one way. And I've said it a thousand times, it's kind of like basic Christian uh, doctrine here. Uh, It is simply... Like, through Jesus' death and resurrection, that's the only way righteousness happens. So, what this means, I've tried to explain righteousness in a way that is, uh, that's bigger than maybe what some of you have uh, uh, been taught uh, in your past. When I think Paul is using the word, when Paul uses the word righteousness throughout this book, I think he's talking in grand terms. 
I think he's talking about a lot of things, actually. And remember, we read from the book of Ephesians, and and I pointed you to all of those various metaphors that talk about what God is trying to do, right? God is trying to bring us into his family is one of them, and and Paul's going to use that metaphor uh, in the scripture we're reading today. Paul is, or God is turning us from uh, non-citizens into citizens of the kingdom, right? That's something else that God is doing. You can think in terms of like where all of this is heading, and, and namely the new Jerusalem, right? Namely the, the redeemed world. If this world is not as it should be, and it's not, like it doesn't take much to convince you of that, right? It's not as it should be. Well, then the world to come, that is as it should be. And you and I need to be ready to live in that kind of world. And we need to be redeemed in the the kind of way that we are uh, proper citizens of that world. And so when Paul talks about uh, being righteous, that means we are being made right with God. And I think he means in all the ways. And Paul's going to say there's only one way possible for that to happen, namely through Christ's redemption, right? Through his work on the cross. You can't read a book, even this great one, and think that through the reading of the book and through the doing of the things that are on the pages, and whether it's this book or like a a self-help guru book or uh, uh, any book you could pick up, whatever's on those pages, it's not going to get you... It's not going to get you where you need to get to. It is only through Christ's death and resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into your life that we become fully and adequately redeemed. Um, if you haven't figured it out by now, uh, redemption is uh, it's a lifetime process, Right? Is not necessarily the kind of thing, maybe I should say, I'll take it back, sanctification is a lifetime process, right? And by that, I mean uh, Christ begins the redemption at some point in your life. But the work of the Holy Spirit usually takes a lifetime, and it requires our cooperation with the Holy Spirit to make this happen, And so as we go throughout life, there are various moments, certainly in my life, and I'm sure in yours too, where you remember saying, you know what, there's this thing I've been holding on to, and it's time to hand that over to God. And there's this other thing I've been holding on to, and it's time to hand that over to God. The passage we're reading today is very much dealing with that issue there. And it asks the question, why the law? (laughs) Why did the law exist at all? And I'm going to give you three metaphors, one of which is from me and two of which are from Paul. My metaphor is that the law serves the purpose of a mirror. The law is like the bar that you have to uh, get over to achieve righteousness. And whether a mirror or, or a bar, you realize if you live long enough 
that with all our strivings in life, we look into that mirror and we see something looking back at us that we don't like. And that bar is too high and we just can't get over top of it. And so the law, the law is not designed to free you from whatever it is that is holding you down. The law is not designed to fix whatever it is that's in that mirror that's looking back at you that you don't like. The law does not function that way. The law simply points out that there is something wrong. That's what the law does. That's all it can do. Which gets us to Paul's metaphors. Paul uses two metaphors. The first one he uses in this passage is that of a prisoner. He says that you and I are prisoners in this world. This is an uncomfortable metaphor. And he says, whether we like it or not, what the law does is it points out that you and I are shackled. We are shackled to our worst selves the shadow side of us, the parts of us that have already happened that we don't like to remember, the parts of us that still exist in there that we'd like to forget. And then Paul says that the problem with the law is that it doesn't have the key to unshackle us. And again, in all our human strivings, we can do our best to unshackle ourselves from whatever it is that's plaguing us, from whatever it is that has us uh, enslaved. But the law can't do that. It's not meant to function that way. Only through the death and the resurrection of Christ can we be redeemed in that way. The second metaphor he uses is that the law, the law is a guardian, is how the ESV puts it. I'll go ahead and read that for us again in, I think it's 24 and 25. He says, so then, the law was our guardian. Uh, another word here is, is actually teacher or pedagogue. Or uh, for, uh, in, in an ancient Roman context, it indicates that this person is actually a child and they have somebody who is maybe even a slave themselves who is the guardian or the pedagogue or the teacher who's raising this child and, and teaching them what is right and teaching them what is wrong. And he says that the law is acting in this fashion. It tells us what's right and it tells us what's wrong. But again, the law is incapable of getting us to the place where we ourselves can do it. And so then he says, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. You are matured, hopefully, right? You don't need the guardian. You don't need the law telling you. And, and what do you have in its, in its place? You have the Holy Spirit, is what Paul was, is going to say in, in chapter 5. 
The Holy Spirit has been poured out, and the Holy Spirit is telling you what is right and what is wrong, and you don't need the law, you don't need some uh, piece of paper, you don't need something chiseled on the outside of you, because something on the inside of you has begun to change. And the law has been written not in stone, as Ezekiel says, but on our hearts. Uh, this week, I came across a story in which I saw very clearly uh, this notion that we are prisoners to our own sin, that we are prisoners to our past, and we are prisoners to the parts of us that we don't like. It comes in the form of Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> uh, Mark Wahlberg made it onto my radar twice this week. How that happened, I don't know. The first time was, uh, he's an actor, by the way, if you don't know who this is, uh, whatever. Uh, he, so the first time was, uh, he, he went on a morning show uh, during uh, Ash Wednesday. And he had the ashes on, and he, and he talked about Ash Wednesday, and, and clearly he's a believer uh, of some kind, right? Uh, and I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. I actually did not watch the episode, so I don't know what he said. Can't, you know, promote it or anything like that. But then it was the second one that actually got me. And this one, um, this one, I'll be honest, it made me sad inside. Because what I saw, uh, what I saw was uh, the world in which we live turning into, um, I hate to use this for the world, but uh, Pharisees of unforgiveness. We'll just put it that way, Okay. And here's what happened. You see, Mark Wahlberg, who is 51 years old, when he was a teenager, turns out he did some terrible things. He, uh, he beat some people up, went to jail, and he said a lot of racist things, none of which I uh, condone. I, obviously, right? I, none of us need to condone this. So let's call it what it is. It was sin. He did some terrible things. And then Recently, he was asked to uh, host, I guess, the, uh, the SAG Awards. I don't even know what this is, actually. Uh, but it's a screenwriting um, uh, Actors Guild uh, Awards in, in which he, he, he hands out an award uh, to, uh, uh, some, uh, to an Asian cast. And uh, the racist things he said were, uh, and did uh, were against uh, a Vietnamese couple. And, uh, and so the internet was a buzz, right? How dare the SAG Awards people allow this man who had done some horrible things to hand out an award in this fashion? And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, right? Oh my goodness, the... The, right, what we have before us is the entrapment of our sins in the ways in which they follow us the rest of our lives. And boy, if we live in a world in which uh, forgiveness for uh, uh, a, a, a teenager, uh, what a teenager did, is not possible... Um, I know a lot of 20-somethings, 30-something, 40-something, 50-something, 60-somethings who have also done some very terrible things 
that we all need to, uh, we be, let's get our stones out uh, and begin. But that's not, no, this isn't where the story is going, right? The enslavement of sin is such that we cannot free ourselves from it. I think Mark Wahlberg gets this. I'm hoping that the Lent ashes, uh, that they signify that a faith of some kind exists and that he realizes that the forgiveness is maybe something that he doesn't even deserve. He doesn't deserve it. However, we serve a God who is willing to offer forgiveness because, frankly, we all need it. We all need it. Every last one of us. Which gets me to two questions I want to ask you. There are two questions that, at least for me, really come out of this text. Uh, And I don't want you to leave here today without asking yourselves these two questions. The first is this. What are you enslaved to, right? What are you enslaved to? Paul talks here about the enslavement of sin. And he says that uh, the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. We are prisoners, right? And he says, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, is what are we imprisoned to? But my guess is you may or may not, hope, hopefully you are, but you may not be thinking deep enough here. You might be thinking of you know, a few pet sins that you occasionally dabble in, or, or, or maybe you find yourself like angry as you drive down the road. But let me offer a few things to you just to prime the pump. People-pleasing. Is that something that you struggle with? Are you enslaved to this? Your job. Do do you feel a sense of enslavement to your job? Productivity. The need to be constantly productive. Is that something you feel enslaved to? A toxic family system. Do you feel enslaved to something within your own family, whether it's your family of origin, the family you're sitting in right now that is toxic, and you feel like you just cannot get out of it? Trauma. Something has happened to you in the past. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional. Maybe you were in uh, battle. There's all kinds of trauma that we all experience. And some of us just can't let it go. We can't find a way forward. Are you enslaved to that? Physical ailments. Paul, I think, uh, himself actually talks about his own physical ailments. And perhaps he was enslaved to, 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 to something. And, um, and he even talks about asking God uh, to take that thorn away, and God doesn't. And I want to tell you right now, as I'm reading this list, 
Some of these things are your fault. Some of them are not your fault. It almost doesn't even matter. The question still remains, what are you enslaved to? And what do you allow to drive you forward? And what drags you along? Shame. Guilt. Fear. That's a big one. Fear. Are you enslaved to fear? How many of us let fear run our lives? Anxiety. Stress. Addiction. What are you enslaved to? It's worth answering that question in your head and kind of keeping it there for yourself, maybe even writing it down. The second question, I think is actually related uh, sometimes directly and sometimes uh, less directly, but in ways that you might not quite see immediately. Uh, the second question is, what gives you value? And I preached uh, a sermon a number of weeks ago at the end of uh, chapter two uh, on this, so I, I don't want to spend too much time here. But if what gives you value in life is that you're a hard worker or you're a father or a husband or you're, uh, you're a good person or you're a military vet or you're funny or you're smart or it's something, there's a chance that that thing gets taken away at some point, right? And so it's worth asking, what gives you value? As I uh, think of these two questions, uh, what are you enslaved to and what gives you value? I'm reminded of, um, I'm reminded of Christmas morning. You remember Christmas? It was a beautiful morning here. And uh, we celebrated together, and I had the gifts under the tree. Uh, Kendall helped wrap, and, and then I, uh, we, uh, all the kids came up, and we unwrapped them. And, and then at the very end of it all, uh, there was a treasure chest, and uh, I invited you to come forward and to write something that you wanted to give to Jesus for the new year in 2023 and put it in that treasure chest. If you can just kind of, you might forget what it was that you put in there. If, uh, I, I hope it comes back. But my guess is it was connected to one of these two things. What are you enslaved to? Or what do you value about yourself? Where do you find value? And so some people might have written, oh, I find value in this part of myself, and so I want to give that over to Jesus. And I think that's great. You know? uh, and then some of you said, I am just, I, I am enslaved to this stress or anxiety, and, and I want to give that over to Jesus, right, in 2023. Remind yourself of, of what you put in there. I'm going to offer a confession this morning as to what I put in there. I said it that morning, so it's not breaking news or anything. What I put in the box that morning was um, Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest is what I put in there. And um, how I connect this to these two questions 
is um, one, um, well, primarily the first one. What am I enslaved to? I think sometimes I personally, Eric Gilchrist, am still enslaved to this idea that if I stop for a moment or, God forbid, a whole day, right, that the world's going to come crashing in, right? And it's all going to end, and uh, you know the uh, the church is going to catch on fire, and my family is going to uh, lose their way, and and I'm just going to uh, wake up, and and then uh, everything I've I've tried to build in my life will be just in ashes, right? Um, and I'm trying uh, to not be enslaved to that kind of mindset. And the act of practicing a Sabbath or putting everything down and resting is an act of rebellion against that way of thinking. And so that's what I put in there. I'm doing all right this year. (laughs) I'll just be honest. Doing all right. What does Paul say about these two things? I want to read for us from chapter uh, 3 again, uh, verses 26 to 28. And this will be our conclusion. Paul says this, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And there's your value, right? There is nothing of greater value within you than that you are a child of God. That is of infinite value. Whatever else you might want to try to put on top of that is of finite value. And it's cool, and it's great, and it's awesome that you're funny, and it's wonderful that you're smart, and it's great that you're really hardworking, and I admire all of those things about you. But underneath that is a much bigger piece of the pie, and that is you are a child of God. And he keeps going. And he says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Where is our identity Where do we find our true selves? Is it in our ethnicity? Is it in our gender? Is it in whether we are slaves or free? Is it in our social status? Is it in how we are keeping up social media? Uh, Name anything there. And the answer every time is no. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And so what are you enslaved to? Now that only you can answer. And I do believe that the work on that question is a very real question. And it's the work of the Spirit within you. And it's what I began with. It's sanctification. It's the Holy Spirit working in cooperation with each of us. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in cooperation with each of us. I want to conclude, for real this time, uh, 
It's just a couple quotes about freedom. Gerald May talks about free, which is, by the way, I mean, this is what we're talking about uh, in Galatians 3, is we're talking about slavery and freedom, right? And and what does it mean to be truly free? And Gerald May says what I I love, and and I'm going to follow it immediately by a C.S. Lewis quote, uh, and he says, the freedom question is not whether we can uh, do whatever we want. That is not freedom, folks. And, and that's what Laura, I think, was saying here um, with the wonderful dog. Uh, uh, that, that was fun. Uh, but the freedom question isn't about what, doing whatever we can do or whatever we want to do, but doing, sorry, but whether we can do what we most deeply want to do. If the Holy Spirit is doing a work within you, there is a deep work that is happening. And you tapping into that and living into that kind of person, that I believe is what it means to be free. C.S. Lewis, this is my follow-up here, says it this way in the Screwtape Letters, and he's describing somebody who I don't want to be, and I pray you don't either. He gets to the end of his life and he says this, I now see that I spent most of my life in doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. That is a... How much time on social media would you love to take back? because you didn't like it. You didn't even like it. And it certainly wasn't what you ought to be doing. (laughs) How many other things could you put in that blank, right? There's a lot of spiritual work to be done here, folks. I'm going to, true conclusion. (laughs) Thomas Martin says it this way. He says, the whole purpose of spiritual direction, which in a way is what we're talking about with sanctification, is to penetrate beneath the surface of your life and to get behind the facade of conventional gestures, of the things we think is the outward appearance of of who we are, and the attitudes which you present to the world and to bring out your inner spiritual freedom, your inmost truth, which is what we call the likeness of Christ in your soul. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song that we sang last week, and I asked the band to sing it one more time. It's called No Longer Slaves. And as we sang it last week, I was deeply moved by it then, And I thought, this is the song that represents what we're talking about here. This desire to no longer be slaves. And through the death and resurrection of Christ, we are offered a new way forward. We are are given the key that the law cannot give us. And we are unlocked from a past that we can't change. And we are given a future. A future that is filled with possibility and hope and renewal, and all of these things are available through God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together.
God, we pray now that as we sing this song together, that you move us deeply, that we ask in the heart of our hearts, what is it that we need to be freed from? Because God, you are standing here right now and saying to us, I'm just waiting to free you. I have the key. In this community together, we want to walk alongside of you. And we want to be part of the transformation of each one of us. God, we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.